Hi, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. Starting with this very episode, this is now the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And we are very happy to be back and very happy to be talking about The Muppets Take Manhattan, the third theatrical Muppet movie, which was released July 13th, 1984. For those of you who are following along at home, uh, for the purposes of this season of the podcast, we are watching the 2001 DVD release of the movie. I don't know how many differences there are among the various releases with this one, but that's what we're watching. So can we t- can we talk right up front about the TriStar logo? Uh, yes, I, I, I want to, but just... Um, did I already say, uh, no, I didn't do the whole, today we're talking about minutes one and two of The Muppets Take Manhattan, in which the opening credits roll as we make our way to Dan Hurst College. And these minutes start with the TriStar logo. Oh, man, it, it gives me such a charge. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many movies I, I watch regularly that have that, because they didn't have that logo with the, with like the running unicorn for very long, you know? Um, e- even in the movie Looper, when they do a retro logo, it's like the slightly <laughs> newer one. That's just the, just the unicorn standing there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, this was the first, the previous two Muppet movies and also the Dark Crystal originally were made with Lou Grade, Lord Lou Grade, uh, with his company ITC. And I think, were they all distributed by Universal? That's, that's right. That's yeah. right. So this is the first of, the Henson, you know, the Henson Gangs movies to have right. a different logo at the beginning. And also TriStar was new at this point. Um, TriStar was a joint venture between Columbia Pictures, HBO, and CBS, which was founded in 1982. And this is actually oh, wow. only the fourth movie that they released. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, now it's just like part of Sony. Like, it, it, it's also now not a thing. Like, right. It's gone through various permutations and ownerships. But, so. but it's just, there's just some, I, I think part of it is that like only in the 80s would you have a studio logo that's like, hey, kids, fantasy time. Here comes a unicorn. Y- yeah. You know? Well, it's a, technically, it's a Pegasus. It doesn't have a oh, horn. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is a Pegasus. It has and even if, it, even if it did uh, have a horn, it would be an alicorn. Right, not a not a unicorn because it has wings. Um, oh, is that wait an alicorn? That's that's with a with that's, wings and a horn. that's with wings and a horn. At least on My Little Pony, friendship is magic. Oh, I was about to ask you where could I find an alicorn in in literature, but the, you just answered that question. Yeah, tw- Twilight Sparkle, of course. Um, oh, see, I got to brush up. At whom I am currently looking because my daughter's My Little Pony table is right next to me. So nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, this is a, this is a real horse, right? And then the, the wings are animated. I think so. It sure looks real. I, I remember a few years back rewatching probably this exact movie and just noticing like, wow, it's really obvious that those <laughs> wings are just like animated. Yeah. But that just, later. but that just makes it kind of cool too. Like, it's just weird. It's just like otherworldly, you know? Yeah, and they don't, don't appear know. until a few seconds in. It's like they grow out of the sides of this horse, and then yeah. the horse flies away. Yeah. And then you got TriStar Pictures. You got them. And they're making the movie called <laughs> Muppets Take Manhattan. And what a thrill. Yes. Um, um, do you like this movie? I do like this movie quite a lot. Um, I mentioned with Great Muppet Caper that I never really saw it until I was in high school. 
This one, right. my I mentioned my grandma taped Muppet movie off Disney Channel for us. This was the other one. My grandma taped them both off of the Disney Channel. And okay. I think this was probably the one I saw the most times as a child. Oh, that's three. interesting. Because I, yeah. I definitely grew up with all three of them on tape. But this, I, I feel like this was the one I watched the least for whatever reason. Yeah, well, and we'll, we'll get into it later. But that reason might be that it's much more grounded than the other two. It is. It's it's more grounded. It's more sort of based in reality, despite the presence of the Muppets. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. No- it feels like a like an '80s. Yeah. It, something about the sensibility of the comedy, even to me feels different than the first two. It feels like more like an 80s comedy than a right, comedy. Right, right. It feels like The Lonely Guy or something. Like it's <laughs> which is a, a very good movie with Steve Martin in it, but it's it's not a very I wacky haven't one. Seen that. Oh, it's funny. Steve Martin and Charles Grodin play best friends and yeah, they yeah. are delightful together. Um but it was it was released the previous year and like it just has that same kind of like you know str- street level comedy that's kind of wacky but like mostly pretty low key that this one right. does. It's a little you know? it's more wry, I would yeah. say. Um than the first two, the first two Muppet movies. Uh so we start with a, a, a helicopter shot of the skyline of Midtown Manhattan. You can see the Empire State Building there and Central Park in the distance. And we have our first credit. Jim Henson presents so, like you mentioned, the first two movies say Lord Grade presents on them. Yeah, and he had nothing to do with this one. And I, I tell me, tell me if I'm right here. I think that's because Henson Associates was like more of an independent production company after after the Muppet Show. Oh, um, yeah, I guess so. Like he's not getting outside financing for a project like this. Like it's it's financed by the Jim Henson Company, right? And I'm sure I'm sure TriStar also kicked some money in but um right yeah yeah i guess that's probably right um so yeah he's not directing this one but it's still the muppets are his thing so right jim henson's name appears first on the screen which actually i have a quote uh about that from the brian j jones book oh good uh this is on page 355 of the book would you believe I haven't checked Brian J. Jones's book for stuff about this movie yet in my research? I actually am very surprised about <laughs> to hear too. that. So it says, Jim was delighted not to worry about directing. Jim's direct quote from him, I was able to relax between takes. I could talk to people and make phone calls and enjoy a cup of tea. <laughs> which was a welcome change from uh, Graham Overkeeper, which he had directed, of course, and Dark Crystal. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Um, right, so then we the next credit on the screen tells us who is directing it, and that is a Frank Oz film. A Frank Oz film, and also there's a there's a note in Brian J. Jones's book about that title, uh, about that credit, which is um for for the most part post production on the film had gone smoothly, but up until nearly the last minute, one contentious point remained: Oz's on screen credit. Oz, who had directed the film significantly rewritten the script and performed several main characters, wanted The Muppets Take Manhattan to be credited as a Frank Oz film. I thought it was fair, said Oz, or at least my ego wanted that. But, <laughs> but Jim kept putting Oz off, casually dismissing him with, we'll see. Finally, a month before the film's release, Oz received a gift from Jim and David Laser, a beautiful mantelpiece clock with a Frank Oz film inscribed on top. 
That's when I knew, said Oz, the final cut would indeed be credited as a Frank Oz film. Well, that's nice. Yeah, and it and it's one of those things that I wouldn't even have thought of at all. Like it just seems no. it just seems like a regular credit, but apparently it was something that they they couldn't decide like couldn't agree on. Right. Well, it is the kind of credit you see a lot in movies, but I guess in this case, you know, I that makes it feel then like putting Jim Henson's name first was a little bit of a compromise. A, a compromise is maybe the wrong word, but yes, like okay, it's a Frank Oz film, but everyone's gonna know that Jim Henson presents it, and that's the first name. Right. Right. Um, and this is Frank's first time directing a film by himself after co-directing The Dark Crystal with Jim. That's right. And uh, the start of a, a, a long directing career. That's right. He directed he directed several hits and several less successful films. And it's an interesting filmography. Yes. Well, I'm. I mean, I don't know. It's it's mostly like mid-budget studio comedies. It's you know, it's not like he was really stretching himself all that much. Well, no, but then he also has um the Indian in the cupboard in there and the score. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about the score. Yeah, yeah you're right. So Fair enough. There's a few departures, yeah. yeah. Uh right. So more of the skyline, which by the way, this the skyline it's sort of a, t- a timeless um version of Midtown Manhattan, what we're seeing here, although this shot would look different now for sure because there are more skyscrapers and even more skyscrapers being built all the time. So Manhattan continues to change. Uh, And speaking of Manhattan, the next thing on the screen is the title of the movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Uh, I know at some point on the Tough Pigs forum, we discussed and or debated whether this was actually the first time this naming uh, format of so-and-so takes Manhattan had been used or whether the Muppets got it from somebody else. Um, Muppet Wiki currently tells us the film's title references the 1925 song Manhattan by Lorenz Hart and Richard Rogers with its lyric, I'll take Manhattan, the Bronx and Staten Island too. So apparently that's where they got the idea. And of course, uh, since this movie, there's been a Friday the 13th movie with the subtitle Jason takes Manhattan and a Doctor Who episode called The Angels Take Manhattan, and I'm sure there are others that I'm not thinking of. Yeah, those are the two that I can think of off the top of my head. Who else has taken Manhattan? Write in and Well, let us- Leonard Cohen has a song called First We Take Manhattan, which is from the 80s, so I, right. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, if it's after 1984, I'm going to assume he was inspired Yeah, although by Leonard that. Cohen doesn't strike me as a huge Muppet guy, frankly. but Well, everyone was a Muppet fan <laughs> in the 80s. In the early 80s. Uh, next, we have music and lyrics by Jeff Moss. Wow, Jeff Moss. Jeff Moss, one of the, yeah, one of the all-time great Muppet songwriters. Well, well. He was. Of course, last time we. T- Are you going to dispute that? No, 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 of course not. But last, <laughs> we sh- I think we should say that last time we talked about Joe Raposo, uh, he did the Great Muppet, ca- the great Muppet Caper songs. And he was one of the main Sesame Street guys. And Jeff Moss is kind of like the other main Sesame Street guy for songwriting. Or, you know, or, or, or one of them. Yeah, most of the Sesame Street songs that most people could name were either written by Joe Raposo or Jeff Moss. Right, right. Yeah, he wrote uh, Rubber Ducky, Captain Vegetable, Everyone Makes Mistakes, Five People in My Family, I Don't Want to Live on the Moon, The People in Your Neighborhood, Octopus Blues, he, and a Million Others. I mean, you know, like, it's funny because I have some of the same ones written down that you do, and some different. I got I Love Trash. You didn't mention that's a 
Oh, of course. I feel like that's an all-time classic. Breakfast Time. Yes, absolutely. M- might be the greatest duet in the history of Sesame Street. Breakfast Time is excellent, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, uh, I also wrote down one that I just really love, which is High, Middle, Low, which is just a, a tenor, a baritone, and a bass singing about which part of a song they sing. Um, is that the one, like, I can only sing the high part, high yeah, part? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Jerry Nelson, Jeff that? Moss, and uh, who's the third guy? Is it, I can't remember. But anyways, yeah, high, middle, low, yeah. Is it Frank? I don't think it's Frank. I'm going to look it up on Muppet Wiki. Uh, Joe Raposo is actually the is actually the baritone. So Jeff Moss is the bass. Oh, wow. Jerry Nelson is the tenor. So yeah, great song. Okay, wonderful song. Yes, that's charming. Yeah. But and there's a there's uh, a million more. Songs. Yeah. Yes, you can look him up on Muppet Wiki. He also wrote the songs for the the Muppet special, The Christmas Toy. Oh right, which are great songs as well. I mean, there's quite a yeah. few terrific yeah. songs in that. Which I I don't, I don't know right. if we'll talk about that uh, on this podcast. But we will talk about at least one of the songs, which reappears in Muppet Family Christmas. Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, and for this movie, he was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Song Score. Unfortunately, he lost to Prince for Purple Rain, a movie I have not seen, so I cannot speak to whether the songs in that are better than these. I haven't seen it. I mean, I've heard, you've heard, I've heard most of the songs. You've heard most of the songs. Yes, like that probably, movie is yes. stacked with Prince's hits, but also I live in the Twin Cities, so I can't I can't complain too much about Prince winning an Oscar. He's 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 uh, he's our right. local hero around here, you know. <laughs> right? Yeah. Have you ever been to uh, Paisley Park? I actually haven't. I, sh- I should. I should go. <laughs> went. I'm not sure if they're open to the public right now. Yeah, I don't know if you can do anything more than just like stand outside and take pictures. But right. Um. Yeah, so at the 35-second mark of this clip, we hear whistling and then scatting, but we don't see who's doing it. Uh, but we can, is... I mean, we can tell we can tell who's doing it once we hear the voice. Really? Who do you like, think I is doing it? It's Kermit the Frog. Oh, it's Kermit the Frog. <laughs> see, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is, I think, a... First, with this podcast, we do not see any Muppets in this first clip. Right. We don't see zero, them on screen. Zero Muppets. We didn't see any Muppets in The Dark Crystal either, which we talked about. Oh, well, that's technically <laughs> true, too, yes. But, but uh, yeah, so that's funny. But yes, it's the voice of Kermit the Frog, and we love that guy. And I can't yeah, wait to I, see him. Yeah, and of course, t- Together Again, which we'll talk more about on the next episode, uh, right. is, in fact, a song by Jeff Moss. And not right. not music written by the next fellow that we'll talk about. Um, oh. Right. The next credit is music score by Ralph Burns. This guy has a career that went back to the 1940s. He worked as a composer, an arranger, an orchestrator in various capacities on a bunch of movies, including Sweet Charity, Cabaret, Urban Cowboy, Pennies from Heaven, National Lampoon's Vacation, New York, New York. History of the World Part One, Annie, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and the Adams Family. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Sweet Charity and Cabaret and all that. He did the orchestrations for the original Broadway um, sh- versions of those. He like he worked with Bob Fosse on Broadway on Sweet Charity, Cabaret, oh, okay. Pippin. Well, that that um, makes he, a lot of sense. Yeah, and then he wrote the scores for Lenny, all that jazz, Star Eighty, all of which Bob Fosse directed. So he was like okay. one of one of Bob Fosse's like r- right hand men throughout his career. Yeah, yeah, um, okay. like, so it, and that's, you to think that then he he kept working up through the Adams Family movie, right? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So Ralph Burns. So he, I guess, all the uh, incidental music we hear in this movie is him. 
after we have flown over these buildings, Empire State Building, Chrysler Building, various other uh, New York City uh, landmarks, the camera takes us out of the city uh, via this large toll booth and over a bridge. I don't, I feel like I should know where this toll booth is and what bridge this is, but I do not know. It's the toll booth bridge. <laughs> it's the toll booth bridge. Yep. And what's the toll booth called? Is it called the bridge toll booth? It's called bridge toll booth. Yes. It's called, yeah, um, it's called the New York city toll booth. Right. I, I, I tried to do some Google mapping and I just didn't come up with anything, but uh, maybe it's the New Jersey turnpike. I don't know. If you know, please, please let us know. Um, yeah, I, I just feel like it would be recognizable to like a lifelong um, New Yorker or commuter. So right. the next credit that comes up is production designer Stephen Hendrickson. Um, his credits, his earliest credits on IMDb, anyway, are from the late seventies, and he is still working today. Yeah, his credits that. include Arthur, Wall Street, Major League Two, The Scout, and then the TV series Kitchen Confidential, Life on Mars. The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Well, and, and of course, uh, the TV movie, The Positively True Adventures of the Alleged Texas Cheerleader Murdering Mom. <laughs> well, and you, you, sk- you skipped over his two Emmy nominations, which are for the, the TV remakes of The Music Man and Annie. Uh, both of which yes. fe- feature Victor Garber. The two Victor Garber versions, if you will. Who did Victor Garber play in The Music Man? He TV played movie? the mayor of um, River City. Oh, that's familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I definitely have seen both of those. Yeah, they're both very good, and, and they look great. Like, he did his job very yes. well in, in both of them. Like, the production yes, design might be... believe most... that you are in River City or uh, Depression-era New York. Right, exactly. They're also both on right. Disney+. Plus. I've been meaning to rewatch both of them, because I enjoyed them both. At oh. The wow. There you go. Yeah. The next credit we see is Director of Photography, Robert Painter, BSC. And here's where Fozzie might ask, what does BSC stand for? It's um, I think it was British Society of Cinematographers. Yes, it is. Right. So uh, this guy, his credits go back to the 1950s. They include Superman 2, An American Werewolf in London, which features Frank Oz in a cameo. Trading Places. Which features Frank Oz in a cameo. I just remembered features, yes, Frank Oz, and also Richard Hunt Mm -hmm. in a very small role. Uh, Superman 3, the music video for Michael Jackson's Thriller, National Lampoon's European Vacation, Spies Like Us. Which features Frank Oz in a cameo, yeah. Okay. And Little Shop of Horrors, which was directed by Frank Oz. Several of these were directed by John Landis. So I would bet at least a dollar that Landis recommended uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Painter to Frank for this movie. To Frank. I'm sure that's right. And uh, also, another John Landis movie is Into the Night, which does not feature a cameo by Frank Oz, but features a cameo by Jim Henson. And Robert Painter was the cinematographer for that as well. Ah, yes. Yeah. Have you, I've never seen Into the Night, have you? I've never seen it. No. But I just know my parents uh, told me once that they had been just like flipping channels and came across this weird movie on TV and <laughs> that Jim Henson was in it. And I said, Oh yes, that must be into the night. Awesome. Yeah. So at this point we arrive in a pleasant looking little town and I do know what this place is. Thanks to a post from several years ago on a website called the Bowery boys. 
which I will probably cite several times this season, and I will link it, link to it in the show notes. Um, this is Poughkeepsie, New York. This is a town that I mostly associate with an episode of Bewitched, where uh, the Stevens neighbor, Mrs. Kravitz, keeps trying to say Poughkeepsie, and she pronounces it Kapoopsie. <laughs> That's better than my one, which is that I mostly associate it with an episode of the considerably less entertaining TV show Friends which is where Ross uh, meets a girl on the train, but she's from Poughkeepsie. And so he's like, I can't date this girl. She's from Poughkeepsie. Ah. And then he's going to take the train up there. And then he wakes up in Canada because he overslept. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, man, right. I'm such a sad sack. Ah. Yes, that is a that is a very accurate impression of Ross uh, from yeah. Friends. So, Kapoopsie. There you go. The the next uh, credit is executive producer Jim Henson. That's that's we him. We talked about this guy. Here he that's is again. That's the guy. He's he was in. It. That's the guy from Into the Night. <laughs> that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> Sorry, I stepped uh, on your line. That's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he he did this one. He was there. He did this one. Yes, he executive yep. produced it. Uh, yep. So then we have. I'm gonna make sure I get the order right. Um, it's story by Tom Patchett and Jay Tarsus. Yes. And then, uh, screenplay by Frank Oz and Tom Patchett, ampersand, Jay Tarsus. So, uh, Patchett and Tarsus, as we spoke about last season, worked on The Great Muppet Caper. They did a rewrite of that script after Jerry Jewell and Jack Rose wrote the initial draft. Um, so they were brought back for this one and presumably um by this time i guess jerry jewel was too busy with fraggle rock yeah i I, knew muppet movie i think that must be why and um especially notable because this is the of the six muppet movies released in his lifetime this is the only one he doesn't have a credit on right yeah he's credited on muppets from space but not muppets take manhattan which seems bizarre like, feels impossible. Yeah. I mean, unless they just... Maybe Jim and Frank were just so uh, set on going a little bit of a different direction with it, but... I, maybe, but, like, Fraggle Rock makes sense. I mean, he was the, yeah. he was the head writer. He was the head writer, You know, yes. and it was, in, it was in Toronto. You know, it's not like... I think right. when they were writing the first two movies, they were, like... He was working where they were making The Muppet Show. You know, like, he was yeah. probably, like, writing them in London or whatever. And saw Jim and you know, Frank all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my understanding is that Patchett and Tarsus wrote the script for this movie. And then Frank Oz took it and did a rewrite of it. And we also know that the writer, David Mish, um, I think he's credited as a consultant in the closing credits. In the closing credits. Yeah. He, he did a little bit of a polish and added some jokes and things. Um, I did an email interview with him for tough picks a while back. And he said he was brought in, late in the game to help Frank polish the script before they actually shot it. And he also wrote the greatest Muppet project of all time, Inner Tube, the pilot he for the Jim Henson out. Yeah. Yes. The very strange pilot for the original version of the Jim Henson hour, which did one of us I, wrote about that. I, on the Tough Pigs website. I, I wrote about Inner Tube and you wrote about the pitch reel. 
the pitch where Jim Henson is in the fake workshop talking about what he wants the show to be about. So if anyone, listeners, want to go read some insightful, question mark, um, (laughs) articles about Jim Henson Hour, like, abandoned concepts, me and Ryan wrote them six years ago. I will link to those in the show notes as well. Great, because Uh, that's some of our best work, I think. Like, I genuinely uh, am very proud. I I really... Yes, that whole series of uh, revisiting the Jim Henson Hour, I think, was was really good. Uh, although, if I could go back in time, I would probably give my review of Monster Maker another, uh, I'd give it another rewrite. Yeah? Yeah. Or hand it off to Frank Oz to rewrite it <laughs> for me. And then to David Mitch. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, we finally arrive at Danhurst College. This is actually Vassar College. Uh, according to Muppet Wiki, the exterior of the auditorium where the senior variety show was held was actually the Vassar Dining Hall. That's pretty good. So nobody's putting on shows in there. They're just eating their, uh, I don't know. What do you eat at college? You eat a lot of cereal, mostly. That's true. I had a lot of cereal at college. I, I ate a lot of uh, biscuits and gravy in the college uh, commons. You, you went to college in Texas, correct? Your native Texas? Yes, I did. Yeah, I didn't have yes. biscuits and gravy. I didn't. I, I went to college in North Dakota. I didn't. I also didn't have you know lutefisk or whatever you might think, but that's a that would be a stereotypical. That's, that's a Norwegian. That's like a Norwegian pickled fish. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't have it out. No, not at the uh, cafeteria every day. Um, yes, the sign here says tonight only Manhattan Melodies Senior Variety Show, written by Kermit the Frog. So good for Kermit. He wrote this whole show by himself. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. You, you seem underwhelmed. Well, we don't see that much of the show. We don't know how how, how impressive no, it is that he wrote true. it or not. Like that's true. We we actually all, don't know. All we know good. is that the closing number is together again. And I don't think. Yeah. Like the one we see at the end with all the bears and pigs and chickens and stuff. That's not. I don't think that's at all the same show. It doesn't end the same way. Like no, I think that it seems was, like a last minute. A last minute. Yeah, it was heavily rewritten. Like yeah. you know. <laughs> So, all right, maybe Kermit doesn't deserve. Yeah, so we don't much know how good Manhattan Melodies is. Yeah. Well, then this clip ends before we even get a glimpse of Kermit the Frog or any other Muppets. We see some some Danhurst College students just kind of milling about outside the uh, auditorium. Yeah, but that's it. There's no Muppets in this whole movie. That's going to be the twist. <laughs> Whoa! The Muppets don't actually take Manhattan. It's, we're, Yes, Alternate we're actually um, watching Jason takes Manhattan, and this is how it starts. <laughs> wow, yeah, that would be. I wonder how far into this uh, we could get and uh, trying to convince people that we were just like really confused, waiting for. And the we'd actually talk up. about Jason takes Manhattan the whole time, which like and, and like neither of us are yeah. horror movie fans, like or like slasher movie, you know. Um, I like actually. I may have seen Jason Takes Manhattan a long time ago on TV. Yeah. Are you sure you didn't just... On TBS or something. Are you sure you didn't just watch Muppets Take Manhattan with your brother Jason? (laughs) I'm relatively sure. Oh, okay. But, uh, no, I I probably have more of a uh, tolerance for horror than you do, but... Yeah, that's true. I like old horror movies, like old Frankensteins, like we talked about on that other one. Right. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we get around to the, the Friday the 13th movies. That's right. Uh, yeah, so we'll just have to wait until next week to find out if there are any Muppets in this movie. Yeah, I can't wait to find out. 
because I've never seen this one. <laughs> right, exactly. So um, I'm looking at my notes. I think that's all I have. Uh, uh, do you have I, any other thoughts? I think we skipped over produced by David Laser, but he's the he's the producer of the Muppet Show. We've talked about him a bunch of times. He's we don't know that much about him really. Did we miss? Maybe I totally missed yeah. That we went that. straight from in the credits. We went straight from the screenplay stuff to Danhurst College. Oh, yeah. Somehow I overlooked that. Well, I apologize to David Laser. Who, yeah, obviously was was very uh, instrumental in uh, getting the Muppet Show, uh, you know, keeping that show going and right. the movies. So, yeah, we probably talked about him and his other credits. R- right, before, we've right? talked about. I mean, he produced both of the other movies too. So, right, you know, we've had and the Dark Crystal, frankly. So we've had plenty of occasions to talk about him. And yeah, uh, yeah. all right, well, so see our previous uh, seasons. To hear us talk about David yes. Laser and or credits. Rizal Evad Gib, as he's better known. Yes, what was that? It was uh, in- it was like a magic spell on the Muppet Show that did something. Y- yes, it's a magic spell. It's, a, it's actually a magic word in both the Tony Randall and Linda Carter episodes. Like in um, in the uh, Linda Carter episode, it's the when you say his name out loud, then the like crocodile shows up and attacks, and in the Oh right, he's like a crocodile, he's like a crocodile god. god. And yeah, if you say and then his name, he appears. And then in the in the um, Tony Randall episode, it's just like one of the incantations that like are turning people to stone. And in both of them, it's Rizal Evad right. Gib, which is Big Dave Laser backwards. So <laughs> right. So what? Whatever, yeah, man. Tough. Like okay. Well, be just everyone out there. Be careful about saying those That's words right. out loud. Uh, yeah. So. You said that, that was all you had? That's all I have. All right. Evil will... <laughs> Watch out. Then with that, we will wrap things up for this week. Please make sure to check out toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter, and all those things. If you have thoughts on this movie, these episodes, you can um, find us there or on the Tough Pigs forum, which is linked on the front page of toughpigs.com. You can also email us at... Moving right along at toughpigs.com. I am on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. Anthony is nowhere on Twitter. And uh, also, if you don't mind, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Please tell your friends about the show. This is a perfect time because we're starting a new movie, so you can tell everyone to get on board with, with the new season. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Bye. Together again. <laughs>